It's always great to be here at The Rock. I mean, this church has been such a huge support to, to my family, to our ministry for so many years. And I know many of you are praying for us and supporting us financially. And all I can say to you is don't stop. <laughs> Lord, I want to thank you that I can be at this beautiful church. Help me, Lord, to be in the flow of what you're doing. Don't let me mess up this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that don't know anything about me, uh, God first called me to Amsterdam. That's where I met my wife. My two sons were born and raised on the edge of the red, red light district. I'd be carrying one of my sons on my shoulders, and we'd be walking down the street, and these drug dealers would come up to us, and they'd go, hash, hash, you know, trying to sell us drugs on the street. And uh, one day when my son, one of my sons was about, uh, I don't know, he was like three or four years old. He was standing on the balcony of our apartment, and these people were walking by on the street, and he said, hash, hash, because he, he thought hash meant hello in Dutch. <laughs> and so, pretty crazy neighborhood. And, and through that time, God called us to reach the punks and the anarchists. So, you know, people like your pastor, um, really difficult people. And uh, I was asking God how to do this. And God, one of the ways that God led us to do that is to use art and music as a way of bringing Jesus to them. I want to show you a quick video that uh, shows about this center that we have in Germany uh, where we send people out all over the world because I think there are some people from The Rock that need to be a part of this. And I also have some books here if you want to know more about the ministry. They're back there. You can leave a $10 donation or just take one. So let's run the video. A worldwide injustice is destroying an entire generation. The global youth culture spans from 17 to 35, representing more than 1 billion people. They are being destroyed by the world's lives through the entertainment industry, pop culture, and economic strategies that prey upon them. This global youth culture is angry, hopeless, and searching for answers. Sadly, they do not typically look to the church because they believe it should be relevant to their lives. A dad's empty tradition of the past. How will they hear the truth? Who will show them? The love of Jesus. How can they be rescued from these lies? that this is the time in history when people are really hungry for truth. And this school is committed to reaching this demographic that we call the global youth culture, who are tired of believing that they're just a product of chance, that there's no reason for them to exist, who are hungry for truth, they're hungry to know God. And this school is for people who are serious about going to this group of people and explaining to them in their language that they are important, that God loves them, and that Jesus is what they're looking for. 
Right now we have more opportunities than we can cope with and we felt the need to raise up more people. We need more people to get involved to do this kind of ministry and that is why we've created this school. So every summer we have people coming from all over the world, from many different countries and forming an international community. We have teachers coming from all over the place as well who have been doing this kind of mission and who can share what they've been doing and teaching new ways, unconventional ways of reaching these people. The school is, is an atmosphere where it just pushes people and, and we have accountability groups, we have teaching, we have days where we go and just spend time alone with God. So what I would like for each student, what, what they should go away with is that they would never be satisfied with just an ordinary Christian life. Where they're just going to church and being a good person, but they're not really taking the things that, that they read in the Bible, you know, and just saying, Lord, make these true in my life. Where they're completely, completely changed and will not satisfy for anything but God's best. The need is great. The work is a few. It's time to act is now. This is our unique time in history to present the love of Jesus to millions of people who have never heard the truth. Is God calling you to join us? There's a clipboard going around if you want to sign up to get our newsletter, if you want to come and die with us somewhere around the world. It'd be great. Um, I was uh, recently in Madrid, and I don't know if you know anything about Spain, but Spain is, a, is a considered to be one of the most secular countries in Europe, and Europe is considered to be one of the frontiers of missions today. And uh, in Spain, uh, there were, in Madrid, there were thousands and thousands of people demonstrating on the streets. It's like, this, like the country is on the verge of revolution. 35% unemployment, places on fire. And uh, it's a place where so few people have ever had any opportunity to hear about Jesus. They, it's such an unreached country. And there's a girl there, there and her name is Maria. And uh, so she went to Amsterdam. She's from Madrid, and she went to a youth hostel there. And so she was this, she's in her 20s. She's desperate. You know, she was desperate to find out you know, what is the meaning of life? And so she's in this youth hostel, and she started crying out to God. You know, she didn't know if God was there, but she just felt this desperation. So she started crying out to God in, in, their, in her room, in this youth hostel. And as she was crying out to God, Jesus himself came into her room. And Jesus said to her, I am the one that you're looking for. And for a week, she was having these miraculous visitations where she would have Jesus coming to her in her room and talking to her. And then while this was all happening, she went out on the street in Amsterdam. And as she was on the street, a woman came up to her on the street and said, God has told me to tell you that this church, you, you need to go to this church over here. 
And so she went over to this church and she was amazed to find out that all the things that she was hearing by revelation, she was hearing about in this church and she was reading in the Bible. And now she is a passionate follower of Jesus. And she's one of the group of Spaniards that are going to be coming to our school this summer in Germany. I'm telling you, God is so amazing. He's so powerful. In our last school, we had someone there from, from San Diego, Chile. And we were, like I said, we use art and music as a way of bringing Jesus outside of the church. And so we're playing in this club in San Diego. And it's a very famous club. There were, uh, you didn't want to go into the toilets because of all the vomit from all the people getting sick. A guy was doing speed backstage, one of the bands that was playing before us, and he collapsed backstage. We came out to do our concert, and when they recognized our message, they started swearing at us and giving us the finger. They put a pornographic video on the television behind the bar. This was not parachute. <laughs> and so, when we got... so. There's a guy and he's doing the sound. He's not, he's not, a, not a believer in Jesus. I had a translator there who was going to translate my words into Spanish because I wanted to speak in the club. But before my translator could translate, he started translating from the soundboard. And he's passionately telling people that they need to know Jesus. My translator's angry. And going, what are you doing? Why did you invite me if you wanted this guy to do it? I go up to the guy doing the sound for us, you know. His name's Koke, and I'm going, Koke, what are you doing? And he said, I don't know. He said, when you started speaking, I started sweating and shaking. And the words were forced out of my mouth. Here's a guy who doesn't even believe in Jesus, but Jesus is so powerful. That he was, he was translating my preaching. He said, if I didn't translate your words, they would, I would have vomited. A couple days later, he came to where we were playing in this warehouse. He fell on his knees, gave his life to Jesus. Passionate guy, and his, you know, wants to reach the scene in San Diego. Came with his family. Now, you know, he has this young Christian family. Came to our school last year, and now he's in San Diego as a Steiger missionary wanting to reach people there. I'm telling you, Jesus is so powerful. I mean, the world is on fire, but Jesus is moving like never before. In a few months ago, I was in Beirut, Lebanon. Beirut is a place where we're starting an art cafe and planting a new church. And I don't know if you know anything about Beirut, but it's a very full-on place. And when I was dropped off on my way back, a guy said, Oh, I didn't want to tell you this, but I got a couple of undercover policemen to follow us, you know, from the airport to where we were going because of all the kidnappings. And uh, it's just a crazy city. But I did my an interview on OTV. OTV is a, is, a, is a television station that is in alliance with Hezbollah. And I did an 18-minute interview where I was able to talk plainly and clearly about Jesus. I mean, you can go on our website and see it. God is doing such amazing, miraculous things. I was in Cairo. I don't know if you understand what's going on in Egypt right now, but it's a very dangerous place. And I was in, in Cairo with one of my sons. And I was talking to, meeting with some church leaders there. And I talked to this uh, someone, and, and they said, I don't know when this happened. This was a long time ago, but I have to tell you this because it's so amazing. So 
This one of the, some ruler in Egypt said to the to the to the church there. The person, your leader, Jesus, said that if you have faith the size of a speck, you know, of dust, you can say to that mountain, "Move, and it'll move." That's that's your leader, Jesus. The guy you say you follow said that. So here's the thing. You see that mountain over there? You tell that mountain to move. And if that mountain doesn't move, I'm going to kill all the Christians. How's that, man? You know, so they started crying out to Jesus. There was an earthquake. The mountain moved 800 meters. And now they meet in a cave that was formed from the earthquake. We were, in, we were in Polish Woodstock, 700,000 people. Young girls passed out, 13 years old, from drugs. It's, real, it's really muddy there because of all the combination of urine and, and beer and vomit. I'm, not, it's, I'm just telling you what it's like. It's unbelievable. People die there every day. And we were able to play in one of, the, one of the big stages there. And we saw hundreds and hundreds of people respond. We've got this big, we, uh, God has provided us with this professional stage truck. So you can go into any square in Europe. You set up in the center of the square. And you do, we do this performance where we show in a, in a creative way how Jesus died and rose from the dead using music and art and all kinds of things. The whole city comes. And then we have these ninja disciples. And we say, hey, if you want to know more about Jesus, there's these guys and we've rented this barn over here. We've rented this schoolhouse and they're going to be there for a month. If you want to just hang out with us and know more about God. And we're going to be doing this all over Europe. In fact, there's in Albania... Uh, the plan is that we'll go into every city that has a mayor and go into the center of the city and lift up Jesus in this way. I'm telling you, God is doing unbelievable things. Why is it that people are going to listen to our message? You know, why are they going to listen to us in, in Wellington? One time, um, this guy who runs male strip clubs asked if my wife and I would pray for his baby. So we're, so we're with this guy. We're, we're, this was in Sao Paulo, you know, the little city of 20 million people. And so we're in, we're in Sao Paulo. And so my wife, Jody and I, we're in this, this guy who runs male strip clubs, and we're praying for his baby. And we're praying that his baby will be strong and healthy and will love Jesus. Why would a guy who runs male strip clubs ask us to pray for his baby? Well, I'll tell you why. During that time, we were doing tours in gothic clubs. We were playing in a lot of the heavy gothic clubs in the, in the city. And people from these gothic clubs won't come to a church because they have a bad idea about churches. So we thought, we need a neutral venue where people can come. And the guy who ran this male strip club said, you can use my club. They can come here if they want to know more about God. So we thought, well, that's a neutral venue. <clears throat> so... Instead of, so there's this runway, instead of the strippers, my band is there playing worship music. All right? So my band's playing worship music, much like what you guys were just playing this morning. And, uh, you know, all these guys from these gothic clubs are there. There's a guy down in his basement, 
And it's his job, his job to organize strippers. He's on the phone. And he said, all of a sudden I heard your music. And this power came into the office. And the mirror on the wall exploded. And he took me into his office and there was broken glass everywhere. It looked like a bomb had gone off. And he said, it's not just the glass that is breaking. Something is breaking inside of me. And this tough guy covered in tattoos wept like a baby because he saw that Jesus is powerful. Why are people going to listen to us? You know, Paul said that the kingdom of God is not talk, but power. In Ephesians 1.18, it says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to everyone who believes. In John 14.12-14, Jesus said, If you are my follow, follower, you will do even greater things than I have done to bring glory to the Father. So why is it that we don't see so much power? Why is it that the church is not seen as a powerful thing to most people? I would suggest that probably in New Zealand, if you ask the average person on the street, is the church powerful, they probably wouldn't say yes. Why is that? Well, I think the reason for that is that I can, I can have this idea to think that Jesus is he's some kind of a method or strategy. You know, following Jesus is about a certain program. It's about saying, you know, it's a, there's a really good example of that in Acts 19 that, that ex, explains what I'm trying to say. Acts 19. Starting with verse 13. A team of Jews were traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus. The incantation they used was this. I command you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, okay, we're doing this. But when they tried it on a, on a man possessed by an evil spirit, the spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And he leaped on them and he attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and badly injured. So here's the situation. These guys are going around and they, 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 they're trying to cast out demons. From, from people. So they see this guy who's demon-possessed, and they go, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out! And the demons answer back, We know who Jesus is, and we know who Paul is, but who are you? And so they jumped on him, and they, and they beat him up, and they ran out of the house bloody and, and naked. They had this crazy idea that following Jesus was a way of talking, a system, a program. You know, it's, it's not about praying in a certain way. One time we were on tour, and we actually had our own plane. But the plane was so, too small, so they had to take the seats out of one side of the plane, and they put the equipment from the floor to the ceiling, and they put the drums in the toilet. And to get in the plane, we had to climb up a ladder and go through the, the emergency exit window. To get in the plane. So everyone is completely freaked out. 
because they're thinking the plane is way overloaded. And uh, they all thought we're never going to make it off the ground. So people are walking around the plane, praying over the plane. And then our manager is getting the weights of everybody. And our, our bass player was kind of a big guy. And so they're having an argument about his weight, you know. And <laughs> so there's like all this tension. People are walking around the plane, praying over the plane. We get on the, we get on the plane. And, uh, you know, it's really tense. And, and uh, the plane starts going down the runway. And and all of a sudden, our band pastor jumps up and he starts running up and down the aisles of the plane. And he's praying, you know, while the plane is going down the runway. And I'm thinking to myself, is this how God is? You know, somebody forgot to pray for the left rear tire. I really wanted him to make it. But somebody forgot to pray for the left rear tire. My hands are bound. There's nothing I can do. I guess they're going to crash and burn. Nonsense. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. It's not about talking in a certain way. It's not about using words in a certain order. It's do I know Jesus. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. When I was, you know, in university and I got really serious about God, I thought the way that that I would prove it to him is I would do a youth with a mission school. You know, a youth with a mission school in Holland. I thought to prove to God that I was serious. So I go to this school, you know, and it was terrible because no one in the school would give me any responsibility. They didn't know how great I was. And not, and to make matters worse, you know, everyone had to take turns, do, take turns doing the dishes, you know, and they would have a leader of the dishwashers and they wouldn't even let me be a leader of the flipping dishwashers. And I'm like, I can't believe this. You know, I thought, but the time is coming, you know, when we go to Amsterdam and then they'll see what an amazing guy I am. So it's, you know, it's a cold, rainy night in Holland, and so it's the middle of the winter there. It's January, so it's the middle of the winter, cold, icy rain, and I'm staying in this little bungalow on the edge of the forest. And then one of the leaders from the school comes to me and goes, you're not going to Amsterdam. You've got to stay here. You know, you're, you're on work duty. And then she left. And I, I was really upset You know, like I told you, it was a cold, rainy night. So I left the bungalow, and I went out into the forest. And the next thing I knew, I was laying with my face in the mud. And I said, God, that's it. I don't care about ministry. I don't even want to to have any ministry. I don't care about ministry. I just want to know you. And I spent hours seeking Jesus. I would go out into the forest at night because it it would make me more focused and I would bring this dog with me. The dog's name was Moses. And so Moses and I, we'd go out into the forest at night. You know, and I didn't care what the weather was like. I just would dress... I didn't care, and I just, whether it was raining, I didn't care, and I would just dress as warm as I needed to, and I would go out into the forest, 
and I would go for long walks with this dog named Moses, and I would cry out to Jesus, and I'd tell him all of my frustrations, all of my questions. I'd carry a little Bible with me, and I'd take it out, and I'd, and I'd read it, and I'd, I'd ask God to speak to me, and everything in my whole life was changed. You see, God wants my life to be a testimony. You know, like Greg was saying, God wants me to be light. He wants people to look at my life and know that Jesus is alive. I think people in Wellington need to see that Jesus is alive. And they need to see people who are his followers, who are not just like everybody else. Because that doesn't bring any glory to God. You know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm like everybody else. That doesn't glorify God. God wants there to be a supernaturalness to my life. To follow Jesus is to, be, to live a supernatural life. If my life isn't supernatural, I'm not a follower of Jesus, really. You see, because there's something, how can I have this power of Jesus inside of me? But you see, the problem is, I can come to God, and there are people here, I know there are, and you can talk about how when you first came to Jesus, how it was so supernatural. You know, when you came to Jesus, it was like unbelievable. It's like I've had people tell me, it's like when I came to Jesus, everything was black and white. But then when I came to Jesus, it all came, it was like color and I could see for the first time. And, and there's this excitement and passion in knowing God. And, and you just are, you want to spend time in the word and you want to pray and you're, you're just, it's so exciting. But slowly that can change. And I can stop putting my faith to the test. And I quit, and then pretty soon what can happen is I can quit seeking Jesus and I can start seeking ministry. And then my concern isn't about knowing God. My concern is about what am I going to do for God? And I become this religious person. I don't see God's power in my life, but it's okay because then I create a Jesus that fits into my lifestyle. And I seek ministry. And I make Jesus into a program. One time this guy came to speak to us. He's a, he's a prophet. His name is Rick Joyner. And I don't know if you know, heard of him, but he's like this famous prophet guy. So he came to speak. And so everyone wanted to hear him because he's, he's this really well-known guy. And so, but I was late getting to the meeting. And so I couldn't even get in the room. That's how many people came. It was so full that you couldn't fit in the room. So I was just out in the hallway, sitting like a, behind the door, sitting on the floor. I was, and I was like, what am I doing here? You know, I wanted to leave, but I couldn't leave because I knew some people that were already there. So Rick Joyner is speaking. He's giving his message. And he stopped. And he said, you over there, stand up. And so this, this guy stood up. And he said, God is going to use you to plant churches all over the world. And then he sat down. And he said, I have a, I have a, I have a word for somebody else here tonight. And he pointed to someone else, stand up. And so someone else stood up. And he said, I believe God wants to use you to have this amazing ministry. And anyway, and then he said, there's somebody in the hallway. I have a word for somebody in the hallway. You know, and I'm sitting on the, like I said, out around the corner on the floor. And someone says to me, I think he wants you. 
So I get up, you know, and I stick my head in the door. And he goes, yes, it's you. Come in. Can you imagine how I felt? So I'm like fighting, you know, because it's so crowded. I had to like really work to get into the room even. I kind of get in the room. I'm standing there. And I'm thinking, so what's it going to be? Am I going to be a great church planter? You know, am I going to have this amazing ministry? What is, what is God going to say to me? And he said to me, when God sees you, he sees a friend. And that's what he said. And, I, and you know what was really terrible? Is the, the thought came into my head, do you mean I'm not going to be a great church planter? Who wants to be a stupid church planter? God wants to be my friend. One time we were in tour in Europe and this guy comes up to me. He does, uh, he translate, translates for me there sometimes. I call him cockroach. Cockalock. So Cockalock comes up to me and he goes, Oh, there's this place you need to go with your band. There's 4,000 insane demonic people. They're all insane. They're all crazy. They're all Satanists. You know, they're all, you got to go there. And I'm going, yeah, that would be great, Cockalock. You know, and I'm trying to act, you know, like I'm into the idea. And but I got on the bus and I'm going, God, I don't want to go to a festival with 4,000 satanic, insane people. Why do I have to go? Send somebody else. You know, that's what I always said to God. And I felt like God said to me, don't go. I don't even want you to go. I don't love you because you go to these clubs or go do these things. I love you because I love you. And that's I really felt God say that to me. And so later I'm, I'm thinking about it. And I said, God, I love you. And I know that your heart breaks for those people. And I know that you cry for them. And if you can't find anybody else who's willing to go, I'll go. But you have to go with me. And that is the only reason I should do things for Jesus. Out of that love relationship. And when I have that love relationship with him, I'm going to have a piece of his broken heart. And I'm not going to be satisfied to live an ordinary life. So maybe some of you here, you know, you, you feel like that. You know, it's like, you know, it can be because we've grown up in an environment where we always are having to um, perform to, for approval. And so you kind of can put that on God. And it's really, you can hear, oh, God loves me. He doesn't love me for what I do. But it's really hard to really believe that. Because the world is not like that. The world is all, it's all based on, on 
performing and and but I, I need to understand this this love that's so profound and so amazing. I need a revelation of it. And a revelation is when something goes from your head into your heart. And that's what you need. Because like Greg was saying, that is the key to everything. The key to everything. You know, and I know there's people here, and some of you are at a stage in your life where you're saying, God, what is your desire? What is your plan for my life? And, I, and that's legitimate that you have these concerns and desires, but the, but what I'm here to tell you is that if you make knowing God, if you make no, make knowing God the priority in your life, everything else will be okay. You don't have to worry about anything else. If you make knowing God the priority of your life, your life will be revolutionized, and at the end of your life, you will not have regrets because you will know that you did what God wanted you to do. And it won't be because of this religious yoke, but it'll be because of this love relationship. And then when you see things, like, like I was thinking about the Middle East, and I was seeing the things that were happening there. You know, and I'd, I'd go up to this little church here when I was in New Zealand, and I'd say, God, it's not right that your name is not heard there. It's not right that these people live in fear. Are you not stronger than Islam? You start to get these kind of prayers. Are you not more powerful than Islam? You say, Lord, that you are strong. Well, then you're stronger than Islam. And you know what, Lord? I'm your son. I'm, no, I'm just like, you know, I know you just like David knew you. I know you just like Paul knew you. So why can't you use me? Use me in the Middle East. And God will start to give you his thoughts and his desires. And then your dreams will start to become unreasonable. And your prayers will, become, will start to become big. And, and you'll start to think in ways that you haven't thought before. And the more you feel God's passion and love, the more you're going to say, God, you're, I want you to be happy. And you won't think about sin. About, you'll, you'll go, you won't want sin because it hurts him. Not because he won't love you, but you don't want to hurt him. It's completely different. It changes everything. Don't come under this yoke. Lord, I thank you for every single person here. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. And, Lord, we can hear that so much. Our, you know, our whole lives, many of us, God loves us, but it's so hard to really get it to really understand it. And it's so easy to, to become religious and to make, you know, and if we become really religious, then our whole thing is, what are we going to do for God? Rather than, I need to know you, Lord. And I pray for every, all my brothers and sisters here, I pray that you would give them the blessing of that desire to get to know you and that they will they will seek after you lord it says in hebrews 11:6 that you reward those who seek you with a desperate heart and i pray lord that you will raise up those desperate hearts to seek after you because i know lord if they start to do that it will revolutionize everything protect them lord put your angels around them and I pray, Lord, that every dream, every desire, every plan that you have for their life will come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen.